0: Today's first article is entitled, Bitter Scorned Coffee Bean Seeks New Respect from Java Snobs by John Imant. Then an article by Helen Chersky, The Stirring Sound of Hot Chocolate. And Susan Pinker wrote an article, Placebos Can Have a Real Effect on Guilty Feelings. Then Joanna Stern has, It's Not Just You, 5G is a Big Letdown. And we'll follow that up with an article by Chris DeVick, The Magical Power of a Kiss. All of these articles are from recent editions of the Wall Street Journal. So let's begin with today's first article, Bitter Scorned Coffee Bean Seeks New Respect from Java Snobs. For decades, Robusta Coffee Bean has been anathema to many American coffee companies. Though less expensive than the cherished Arabica bean, Robusta has a bitter taste that has been likened to burn rubber. No wonder that Pete's Coffee notes on its website that Robusta has never been on the menu and that Dunkin' doesn't serve it in the United States or most international markets. Starbucks says the bean's less refined flavor is absolutely the reason we don't even touch it. A younger generation of coffee geeks, though, thinks the time is ripe for a robusta reputation reboot. They want to elevate the humble bean from the instant coffee market to the premium coffee universe. Old-school coffee snobs are highly dubious. Nguyen Coffee Supply, a Brooklyn-based importer of coffee from Vietnam, sells Robusta beans and drinks online and in grocery stores around the United States. Last year, it launched the Robusta Pledge, calling on coffee companies to stop positioning Arabica as inherently superior and to proclaim with pride when they add cheaper Robusta to blends. More than 100 coffee drinkers and professionals have signed the pledge including such luminaries such as James Freeman, founder of specialty roaster Blue Bottle Coffee. In January, Blue Bottle launched Robusta Blend No. 1, which the company says has opening tasting notes of dark chocolate, middle notes of raspberry, and finishing notes of scotch. That's fancy lingo for Robusta, whose generally bitter, earthy taste has long been scorned by the coffee critique. Unlike Arabica, which is mainly grown in the highlands of Latin America, Robusta is cultivated at lower elevations, largely in Asian countries such as Vietnam. Robusta plants have much higher yields than Arabica and are naturally pest resistant, but Robusta growers have tended to invest less in quality because their beans were relegated to low-margin instant coffee. The revisionist crowd argues that Robusta can be good if grown and processed with the same care as Arabica. They say premium Robustas are nutty and creamy and lack the rubbery taste that characterizes the cheaper stuff. Even better, Robusta is less than half the price of Arabica, although for premium beans, the prices are closer. Neugin Coffee Supply founder Sarah Neugin says she persuaded Whole Foods to carry her 100% Robusta. I feel like definitely the tide has turned, and now Robusta is the coolest bean on the block, she said. Everybody's like, yeah, Robusta, let's take down the hierarchy. Corby Kummer, a food critic and executive director of Food and Society the Aspen Institute, once referred to robusta taste in a New York Times interview as being an child's unvarnished building block. In a recent interview, he said he was completely schooled in that hatred of Robusta. He now believes that a small proportion of Robusta adds oomph to espresso-based drinks, but that he would never drink Robusta straight, he said. That's a certain grit and tang, I would say. It is pretty awful on its own. Shuhang, a boutique cafe and roaster in Tobigian, Germany, started serving Robusta in 2021. We want to dispel bad sigmas and stereotypes towards this plant, it said on its website. It wasn't love at first sight. Managers there weren't impressed when they sampled the dark roasted Robusta. It was just not what you wanted coffee to taste like, said Mikolach Pociecha, Suheng's head roaster. They switched to a lighter roast and have been selling Robusta since. Pete's Coffee, the chain that helped kick off the American specialty coffee movement when it was founded in 1966, is reconsidering its decision to serve only Arabica. Doug Wealth its vice president of Coffee and Roastmaster, said finding a sufficient supply of high-quality Robusta beans is getting easier. We're very bullish on it, he said. The industry shift started a decade ago, but has accelerated in recent years. In 2013, the UK's Black Sheep Coffee launched its Robusta revival, Single Origin Espresso. Company co-founder Gabriel Shohet remembers attending a London coffee festival with a strand advertising 100% Robusta and being banned from certain tasting sessions. The whole specialty coffee scene was so stuck in its ways that they would really look down on us, he said. He sees his nutty, chocolatey Robustas as a corrective for a specialty coffee culture that prizes acidic Arabica. You would taste the coffee and it would taste like lemon juice, he said of Arabica. Your average person would not enjoy it and you'd have a super geek barista who would tell you that actually no, that's the way real coffee is supposed to taste. Black Sheep now has more than 70 cafes and plans to open its first United States outlet in Dallas later this year. In southern India, farmer Nishat Gura decided years ago to tear out his family's Arabica coffee crop, which struggled in the human region, and cultivate hearty robusta. He recalled encountering robusta skeptics at international coffee conventions. They would look at me and say, are you kidding me, he said. The stigma, he said, has faded over the past few years. Some coffee purists aren't convinced. George Howell, 78, sell single origin Arabicas at his Boston area, George Howell Cafe Coffees, and online. No robustas are in order. I've only had a robust experience that was in any way for me interesting or positive. An Indian Robusta Arabica Espresso blend he sampled at a convention many years ago, Mr. Howell said. He prefers, he said, sweet and lively coffees. Robusta, he said, is not what I'm after. And now in Helen Chersky, the stirring sound of hot chocolate. As the midwinter gloom settles over the last dregs of festive holidays, I'm finding that the cold and the darkness are offset by one compensating factor. It's hot chocolate season. I'm an unashamed enthusiast particularly since I don't drink much coffee or tea, so I've spent a lot of time over the years stirring chocolate chips or powder into hot milk or water. You would think that the version with melted chips would easily be superior in every way, but even the cheapest chocolate powder has a little trick up its sleeve, the ability to tell you when the drink is ready just by the sound it makes. As you stir powder into the hot liquid, The tinkling of a metal spoon as it bounces around the inside of the mug is very familiar. But try tapping the spoon against the bottom of the mug from the outside. As soon as you pour in the granules, the pitch drops, often by an octave. Then it will rise steadily over the course of around 20 seconds back to the original pitch. It's a dramatic change with no visual explanation. The first question is, what this sound actually is. You don't normally hear it when you stir because when the spoon tinkles on the inside of the mug you are mostly hearing the mug itself and the mug isn't changing. You have to tap the base of the mug to hear the change. This is the way to get at what's happening inside the liquid. Each tap on the base sends a sound wave up the liquid surface which then bounces downward and and reflects off the base again. A wavelength of sound exactly four times the distance from the bottom to the top of the liquid will create the strongest and most audible note ringing up and down the depth of your drink. The pitch you hear is set by how quickly the sound travels. The chocolate powder carries passengers that interfere with that speed, pockets of air that are quickly released as bubbles. What matters about the bubbles, whether inside or outside, the granules, is that they're squishy. Water is famously hard to compress. If you travel down to the deepest parts of the ocean, the gigantic weight of 10 cubic kilometers of water only squeezes what's at the bottom by about 5%. But if you replace even the tiniest fraction of water with air bubbles, you've suddenly got incredibly squishy sound by comparison. Sound waves travel through this squishy water far more slowly, so the speed and pitch of the sound both initially drop. As the liquid swirls and the granules dissolve, the bubbles that are released rise to the top and burst, gradually returning the liquid to its normal nice high-speed sound. That's why after a second or two you can hear the pitch rising. Bubbles that are too small to see are escaping from the mug. Once the powder is all dissolved, the bubbles don't last long. I was curious about how big a pitch difference I could generate, so I heaped instant coffee granules, which work the same way, into a large mug of boiling water and got a pitch change of three whole octaves. Each lowered octave in pitch corresponds to halving the speed of sound, suggesting a reduction from around the normal 3,470 miles per hour to one eighth of that or a measly 433 miles per hour just from these tiny invisible bubbles. This change in in sound speed is always there when we make hot chocolate with powder or instant coffee for that matter but you have to tap in the right way to hear what the bubbles have to say. I encourage you to experience and experiment for yourself. Making hot drinks will never be the same again. Sarah Pinker's article, Placebos can have a real effect on guilty feelings. Placebos, medical interventions that contain no therapeutic ingredients, are a mainstay of randomized controlled trials, the gold standard of medical research. In these studies, one group of participants receives an experimental treatment and another gets a placebo, while both experimenters and participants remain in the dark about which group is which. That way, the results aren't influenced by people's expectations. It's good research design, but if you were a patient entering a clinical trial, how would you feel if you found out you were given a placebo instead of a possible treatment? In fact, researchers have found that placebos can be effective even when they are open. Surprisingly enough, taking a sugar pill can be beneficial even when you know it's a sugar pill. Now, a new study published in Nature Scientific Reports recently last December shows that open placebos don't just work for physical pain, they can also reduce negative emotions like guilt by Dylan Caesar, a doctoral student in clinical psychology at the University of Basel, the study recruited 112 healthy university students between 18 and 40 years old. Then there was a baseline assessment of their guilt. Using a questionnaire, we asked, "How guilty do they feel in general?" said Ms Caesar. At the next stage of the study people were asked to write about a specific event in their past that made them feel shame for having treated someone shabbily and the strength of their guilty feelings was assessed with a questionnaire then the participants were randomly assigned to one of three groups the first was given a deceptive placebo it contained no medicinal ingredients but participants were told it contained herbs and essential oils that had been shown to reduce guilt feelings. The second group was given an open placebo and were told it does not contain any medical ingredients. The third was a control group that received no intervention at all. Afterward, each participant was asked to fill out the same questionnaire a second time. The findings were crystal clear. Both placebo groups showed a significant drop in guilt compared to those in the no-treatment control group. What's more, the difference between placebo groups was statistically indistinguishable, Ms. Cesar said. How can placebos work when a person knows they're fake? Some researchers have speculated that a combination of hope and uncertainty leads the brain to anticipate Seek out and identify new data or rewards, writes Ted Kapchuk, who leads the program in placebo studies at Harvard Medical School. The human brain is constantly testing hypotheses about what might come next, even if we are not overtly aware of this process. Certain environments and rituals also create expectations about how we are going to feel whether we're seeing a play in a theater or participating in a study in a lab or clinic. Ms. Cesar's study reinforces the notion that we aren't always completely rational about what can help us. She notes that her sample was small and included only psychologically healthy people, but she hopes the findings will be investigated further. We don't know yet if this will work in a clinical population, she says, But for everyday guilt in young people, it works. And now, it's not just you. 5G is a big letdown by Joanna Cern. After a 5G-powered robot performed surgery on my foot, I took a 5G-powered self-driving car to my 5G-powered house where a 5G-powered drone delivered a guacamole-powered burrito. None of that happened, of course. But you know what did happen? I turned off Verizon 5G on my phone and barely noticed the difference. The 4G LTE performance and coverage felt just about the same. Three years since the United States cellular carriers lit up their next generation networks and promised to change the game, the game hasn't changed. And if you're among the millions of Americans who recently upgraded, you probably already know that. In 2022, 61% of the United States cellular customers access 5G networks, according to Global Wireless Solutions, a network testing and research company. Verizon says it's got the 5G America's been waiting for. AT&T promised to transform the future. T-Mobile has Miley Cyrus belt out faster speeds nationwide. Yet these tiny 5G indicators on our phones haven't brought us much, except maybe a higher bill or a faster draining battery. That's because unlike the 4G that brought Uber, streaming Netflix and more, 5G's killer app isn't even for smartphones. It will more likely foster emerging technologies. No need to cry into your 15-page monthly bill, however. Once you understand exactly what kind of 5G you're getting on your phone and the potential limitations of it, you can at least make better choices about your carrier plan. What's here? Lesson number one in my 5G for dummies class. There's more than one 5G. There are three main flavors. Low band 5G aka status quo. The speeds and coverage are similar to or slightly better than 4G. ATT, Verizon and T-Mobile all have this type which is 5G can often feel like 4G LTE. Regardless of your cellular carrier or plan the phone's indicator will read 5G when you're on this type of network. Midband 5G, aka sweet spot. Midband offers greater speeds while covering relatively large distances and working well indoors and out. T-Mobile's got a lot of this, which is why the company has led industry speed and coverage tests. Ookla most recently named it the fastest mobile operator in the United States with a median download speed of about 116 megabits per second. Verizon and AT&T's mid-band offerings are more limited right now, but are expected to expand this year. If you're on this type of network on T-Mobile, your indicator will read 5GUC for 5G Ultra Capacity. On Verizon, your indicator will read 5G UW for ultra wideband. On ATT, it will read 5G. Plus. High band 5G, A- aka smoking fast, using higher millimeter wave frequencies, this provides the fastest speeds at close range. You need to be near a tower, and the signal has trouble penetrating walls. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile offer this shorter-range service in select cities and offer in bigger arenas, stadiums, and airports. Unfortunately, there's no indicator to tell you the difference between mid-band and high-band. To check your speed, try an app like Ookla's Speed Test. Just be sure to turn off Wi-Fi. So isn't that the super fast 5G we were promised? Kinda. It can be way faster than your home Wi-Fi, but you often need to be outdoors and close to the cell tower to get the top speeds. Even then, it doesn't significantly improve your phone's performance. On Verizon's ultra-wideband network, I got 500 megabits down, but I didn't notice a difference when streaming Netflix, Watching TikTok, loading websites, or sending messages. You don't need a fire hose to extinguish a candle. Where you might see a difference is during commuting hours and other times of heavy congestion, Shaitan Sharma, a telecom industry analyst, told me. Verizon spokesman said that 5G's higher data capacity helps at concerts sporting events, and other crowded areas where everyone is trying to download or upload photos or videos. Where 5G has actually made a difference is in fixed wireless or home-based connection. Verizon and T-Mobile offer 5G home internet in select areas. What you can do now. No, 5G isn't likely to change your life, but you can still get the most out of it, especially if you're paying more to access it. Check your carrier's 5G plans. Getting a 5G phone is just half the battle. You also need a wireless plan and a compatible SIM SIM card. For instance, my editor told me after upgrading his family to unlimited 5G, he wasn't seeing 5G UW on his iPhone 13 Pro. He was on Verizon's 5G start plan which doesn't include the faster bandwidth. He switched his line to 5G do more and had to pay more an instant $10 a month. 5G UW then appeared. If you have upgraded and still don't see the higher speed network, visit a carrier store to troubleshoot. Try another carrier. One carrier might have better 5G coverage in an area than another So check the coverage maps. If you have an unlocked iPhone or Android phone with an embedded SIM, Verizon, T-Mobile, and ATT via its its Cricut wireless prepaid subsidiary, offer non-customers free trials on their 5G networks. I was able to sign up for three months of T-Mobile on my i14 Pro. Now I can easily switch between my main Verizon account and the T-Mobile test account. I'll see how this experience goes for the next few months and then make a decision. Use Wi-Fi. Don't forget about Wi-Fi. T-Mobile says that people who switch to 5G use twice as much data on social media apps and stream twice as much video. I wonder how much of that is people just forgetting to get back on a home network. What's coming? Okay, but what about my 5G flying burrito future? That can't all be a lie, right? This next-generation network technology should bring lower latency, the time it takes for data to travel from one point to another. That's important for drones, self-driving cars, and other devices that aren't, aren't your phone. You don't want the human surgeon in New York controlling the robot surgeon in Los Angeles on anything but a near instant connection, right? Razer's new Edge 5G handheld cloud gaming console, available, uses Verizon's ultra-wide band to reduce lag. Lower latency will eventually be the key for better graphics and less seasickness in virtual and augmented reality too. Still, when's the last time you saw someone in a VR headset outside of their house or office, or in a VR headset, period. When the future does get here, I'm taking my 5G-powered private jet to my 5G-powered private island to get my 5G-powered robot massage. And Chris DeVink, the magical power of a kiss. Each night before I slept when I was a boy, my grandmother lean, entered my room, leaned over me, traced an invisible cross on my forehead and said in Flemish, and Kruis and een slap Lekker, a cross and a sleep well. She would then kiss me on the cheek and I would fall asleep. A kiss has magical powers. In young Love, we feel that a kiss gives us immortality. If we kiss the Barney Stone in Ireland... It's said that we will be granted eloquence and persuasiveness in our speech. A kiss can bring good luck at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Day. A kiss can help a boy sleep. A kiss is also a way of showing respect. In spring 1983, because I wrote a book about my disabled and blind brother Oliver, the Vatican invited me to give the closing remarks For the Pontifical Council on the Disabled in the Church. I spoke about Oliver and how, when he died in my mother's arms at 33, she kissed his forehead and said, Goodbye, my angel. After the conference, I was led upstairs for a personal introduction to Pope John Paul II. When I arrived at the large reception room, three people were ahead of me, and the pope was standing and greeting each person one by one. The first was a young man who walked up to the pope, bowed and kissed John Paul's hand. I said to myself, I'm American. We don't kiss the hands of popes and kings. The second person, an elderly woman wearing a black lace veil, stood before the pope. They exchanged a few words, and then she kissed the pontiff's outstretched hand. I'm not going to kiss his hand, I assured myself. We had a revolution in 1776 declaring we, the people, are equal in the eyes of God. After the third person kissed the hand of His Holiness, my resolve was strengthened, and then it was my turn. John Paul extended his hand. I bowed and kissed his hand, and he said, God bless you. I said, thank you. The reality stunned me. What could I do? He was the Pope. Thomas Jefferson wrote, Nothing gives one person so much advantage over another as to remain always cool and unruffled under all circumstances. Jefferson would have been disappointed with me. In the late 1880s, it took the famous French sculptor, Auguste Rodin, nearly a year to carve his famous work, The Kiss, from a block of white marble. As a senior in high school, I was stunned that Susan said yes when I asked if she'd like to go sleigh riding with me. As we trudged up the hill, I held the sled in one hand and my nerve in the other. I didn't dare reach for Susan's hand. As she and I zoomed down the snow-covered slope, I inhaled the aroma of her hair as I sat behind her. When we reached the bottom of the hill, I asked if she wanted to go for another run, and it began to rain and she looked at me with puzzlement. I shrugged and suggested we could go for ice cream, but then she said she'd rather go home. I should have kissed her. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.